Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Do We Like Murder? Do we? A, a production of the Decatur Public Library. A segment of the Long Overdue podcast. That's correct. We have with us today Denise and Dawn. And I'm Chris. I'm present. <laughs> If I need to be present. If you need to be. Dawn and, and Denise are going to be discussing their latest uh, their latest reads in this series. Can you guess what it's about? I bet you can. <laughs> <laughs> if you guessed murder, you are correct. All right, Dawn and Denise, take it away. All right. Well, Dawn, you started off last episode so uh-huh. if you don't mind i would like to go first okay i will let you but i'm like chomping at the bit to talk about my book i'm so like <laughs> so, excited about well it. anyway so that wasn't too thrilled with the way my book read uh-huh. i think i could probably get this done and we could probably end the episode on a good like oh this book was great <laughs> <laughs> okay so i read while they slept an inquiry into the murder of a family by katherine harrison and she's written a couple of other nonfiction books, but this is the first one of hers I've read. Mm-hmm. And I found it to be very repetitive, like her writing style. Um, and she kept kind of going back to the same things. And um, like if I heard the words psychic trauma one more time, I was going to have to like <laughs> throw the book somewhere. You're going to go psycho? <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, you picked two words that you really like. Good for you. Good. <laughs> Um, but it was about the Gilly family in Medford, Oregon. Okay. And in April of 1984, Billy Gilly Jr. killed his parents and his 11-year-old sister. Okay, stop right there. Our books are, like, happening at the same time. Oh, like, no. Wow. <laughs> in the same, like, Pacific Northwest-ish area. Whoa. So, okay. Anyway. That's cool. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> So, the introduction is where Katherine Harrison talks about why she was interested in doing this book. Mm-hmm. And it was because there was a possible incestual relationship between Billy and his sister Jody. And apparently, Katherine Harrison wrote about the incestuous relationship she had with her father oh. in a previous book. Okay. So, she was kind of interested in... Um, and that whole aspect of it. Okay. Um, and so the that gets brought up a couple of times in the book, mm-hmm. but not a lot. You know, not like this has a correlation with my life or anything like that. Like occasionally she'll be like, she relates to Jody mm-hmm. because of what happened with her and her trauma. Right. Um, but she really does focus a lot on the murders, which... You know, it was good. If I wanted to read about that, I'd read The Kiss. <laughs> um, so the book starts off with the 911 call that uh, the Gilly family's neighbors made. Because after the murders, uh, Billy came and got Jody and told her that they were free. And she convinced him to take her to her friend's house, which was the neighbor. And they kind of hung out there for a little bit. And then he left upon realizing that she really wasn't down for what happened. Oh, And so okay. um, he just went back home. 
Like he had no plan or anything like that. And did so, he tell anybody there? I mean, he told her, but did the family know that at that point? Um, well, at this point, um, the neighbor's family. Yeah, she they she didn't say anything because okay. she didn't know what was going to happen. Like uh-huh. if she said anything to them, was he going to attack? their family oh uh, was he going to kill her like she had yeah. no idea of okay and so they kind of just hung out there with her friend for a little bit and then after he realized that this wasn't going the way he thought he just went home Weird. and kind of just waited okay and so once he left like she told her friend and her friend went and got her parents and they called 911 okay and so in the 911 call the dispatcher you know, it's asking Jody like what happened and so forth, and she tells him that her brother Billy killed her parents and her sister. And the nine one one dispatcher asks her, "Has he ever been violent before?" And her response is, "Them." And it's just like big red flag. Her parents were like, she thought oh. that they meant were her parents ever violent. Oh. And then, um, and then she, you know, they ask her some more questions at this point. They're sending police over there to, to her and to the house. Mm -hmm. And so she tells them that, um, Billy committed these murders with a baseball bat. He bludgeoned them to death. Um, and they asked if there was any other weapons in the house. And she was like, well, there's two guns and a rifle. And it's just like, for him to just be like, I'm not going to use the two guns and the rifle that we own. I'm getting a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. I think says a lot about how angry he was at his parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, mainly his father. Okay. And so throughout the book, you find out more that they were horrible people and they were very abusive. And Billy got a lot of that physical abuse. That's so sad. Yeah. And um, you find out a little bit more about Jody, and so their stories are a little different. Like for the most part, their stories are the same. Mm-hmm. Like they coincide very much, except for on the day of the murder, mm-hmm. Jody had skipped school. School called the parents, and her mom was just waiting, like to catch her in a lie, so she could punish her. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Okay. And so. She comes home and she does, you know, she tries to lie her way out of it. Her mom already knows that she tried to skip school. Mm-hmm. And she sends her up to her room that she's grounded. And she hasn't quite decided what her punishment's going to be yet. So mm-hmm. she goes up there. And Billy sneaks up there. And they're talking. And they're, this is where their stories are different. Okay. Billy says that he goes up there and he's talking to her. And she's going on and on about how she wished they were dead. And how they were always, you know being horrible to them and mm-hmm. and she says that maybe she said that i mean she was a teenager and right they were living this awful life mm-hmm. so maybe she said that maybe she didn't yeah um and so well wishing and doing it are two different things well and see you know billy says that she was going on and on about how they needed to die oh okay and so and she of course is saying that that's not at all what she said Mm -hmm. Um, and billy also says that she was talking to him about how their father was sexually abusing her 
and the mother knew about it and didn't do anything. Mm. And so it added to Billy's sense of urgency that something needed to be done. Yeah. And and she claims that she never said anything about being molested by her father to Billy. Mm -hmm. But she does admit that he sexually propositioned her many times, that he would leer at her while touching himself. And creepy. Yeah. And so it's just like, you. To me, I'm just like, your father was doing all these things, and he didn't cross that line. Yeah. So, I'm a little like, how much of Jody's story do I believe? Okay. So, how old are they at this point? Uh, Jody was 16. Okay. And Billy was 18. Okay. And so... Like the, the more she goes into it, and she goes back and forth between, you know, Billy and what he says and Jody and what she says. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it's pretty similar, mm-hmm. except for how much did Jody actually have to do with the murders? Oh. Like, did she actually say, We need, need to do this, yeah, or you need, you to, need do to do it. this? And the only reason that the 11 year old sister becky got killed was Uh billy went and got her took her upstairs to jody's room Mm -hmm. and told jody that you know she needed to stay up there Mm -hmm. and so she told becky you need to stay up here with jody Mm -hmm. and then she went back and then he went back downstairs and jody had no idea she claims that she had no idea what was going on because he just woke her up and that um becky didn't want to stay up there she wanted to go and sleep with her mom Oh. And so she went downstairs, saw mm-hmm. everything, and screamed. And then so she heard where Billy killed Becky. Mm-hmm. And so, oh. so there's a lot of uh, guilt on that, too. Like, yeah. if she had kept Becky upstairs, would Becky still be alive? Right. And Becky didn't really get any of the abuse but from what they were saying is that when they were young, the mom really did kind of take care of them and protect them mm-hmm. from their dad until they were older. And then once they were older, mm-hmm. um, basically the dad was responsible for punishing Billy and she was re- responsible for punishing the daughters. Okay. And so once they hit teenage years, they became rebellious and... You know, as teenagers do. And so that's when she became abusive. So Becky hadn't reached that age yet where she was going to want to defy her mother. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And so she she didn't get abused. Yeah. Um, Which is really kind of interesting because you would think that if they were going to do it, they would do it to all of them, mm -hmm. no matter what. That's very enlightening. Yeah. Um, And so there was a lot... Like, a lot of horrible things that happen to these to these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, when Billy finally, you know, did snap and he was, from the way the book was written, it sounded very much like if Billy had snapped just on his own, mm-hmm. if, if what Jody said was true, that she didn't say anything about wanting their parents killed Mm -hmm. it seems like he would have just killed his dad 
Oh. Because his father was the one that, like, really would physically abuse him. Okay. And Jody was the one that got abused by the mom. Hmm. And when the murders happened, basically, Billy went and just hit his mother until she was dead, and then he covered her up. And with their father, he kept hitting and hitting and hitting until he was done. And Uh then after he killed Becky, he went back and hit his father's dead body some more. Wow. Because he blamed him for, for everything. Yeah. So to me, I'm just like, I'm really not believing that Jody had nothing to do with this. Like, I'm just really not. Yeah. So he killed the mother first. He killed the father first. Oh, okay. And then he killed the mother. Okay. The father was sleeping downstairs mm-hmm. in uh, the living room. Okay. Because this, whenever he propositioned his daughter, uh-huh. Jody went and told their mother that that's what was, that he just told him that that her dad just came up to her and said that he would give her all the money in his pocket if he she would let him fool around with her. Wow. And so she went and she told her mom. Uh-huh. And her mom kicked the, their father out for two whole weeks. Okay. And then let him come back home. And then the only reason he was sleeping on the sofa was because after he had come home, they had gotten a phone call during dinner where it was some young woman basically saying that she was Bill Gilly's daughter. <gasps> and so... Wow. Yeah, so Linda goes and talks to her on the phone, and she's very convinced that that is her husband's kid, and so now he's sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Not because he sexually propositioned his daughter. Right. That got him two weeks kicked out of the house. Right. But because he has an illegitimate child somewhere. Oh, my word. Okay. But I'm I'm still surprised he's still in the house. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's like you allowed him all, to come back. If come back, yeah. exactly. And then after hearing this, you didn't kick him straight out again. Yeah, you let no. him sleep on. You the can couch. sleep on the couch. Okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, this family is so messed up. <laughs> like just so messed up. It's not to mention he's been gone for two weeks, and what has he been doing for the two weeks that he's been gone? Yeah. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally anyway. messed up. Totally messed up. So after after the murders happen. After that happened, and she was 16, she um, was living with her neighbors, her friend, and their, their her parents, mm-hmm. and um, she got, they got sort of a temporary custody of her, um, and then she got appointed, um, a court-appointed lawyer, and his name was, his name was Thad. and my notes are actually like that every grown man that comes into jody's life wants to have sex with her so she's 16 Mm -hmm. she gets a court-appointed lawyer who's in his 30s maybe 40s he's in the middle of getting a divorce and um he gets legal custody of her what yeah no way yeah (laughs) she's 16 years old she says that she wants to live with him Uh uh-huh and apparently everybody's a-okay 
That's a great idea. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, Okay, I don't even know. Okay. What year was this again? 1984. So the 80s were weird, too. Yeah. Well, apparently no one really cared about what was going on. And so... She, um, he's a public defender. So he became her guardian. So she was, he was her, her lawyer and her guardian. Oh my goodness. And, um, she claims that they had a talk and that stopped conveying that he felt that way toward her after they had a talk. Uh-huh. And that said that she was just jealous about all the girlfriends he had because he was going through a divorce. Oh, he's so macho. Yeah. He's got all these girls. He's got all these girls. <laughs> and Jody says that the, really the only problem she had with Thad's girlfriends were that they were so young, including like her age, which was 16. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, so funny. And I'm like, and you want me to believe that nothing happened between you two. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, the more that I read this book, the less I believed Jody. Okay. Like, I'm like, yeah. I, by the end of the book, I was like, I'm totally convinced that you said all those things to your brother about yeah. how your father was this and that and how it was time that they were both taken out because the mom knew. Mm-hmm. And she did nothing. She just let him come back home. You know, sometimes you you get a different perspective and you sit back and you look at this and you're like, oh my gosh, that is just the stupidest thing. Why, why, why? But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess these people, when they're in situations like that, are just so blinded. They're in Mm -hmm. a zone and they don't realize how stupid their comments are. Mm -hmm. Well, and and the thing about Jody that also made me just be a little suspicious about her is that she is um, very convinced of her own intelligence. She thinks she is oh. extremely intelligent. And I can't say that she is or isn't, uh-huh. but typically whenever someone's like, I am so smart, it makes me think that you are not smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to sit there and tell me that you are so intelligent, uh-huh. It makes me wonder why you feel that you need to tell me you're so intelligent. Right. <laughs> it's just like, really? <laughs> so smart. Okay. Okay. I'm not seeing it, but. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> of course. Um, when Billy killed his parents and his sister, um, at the time he was working for his father. Okay. And um, he really didn't have much of a choice, really. And his father had... Um, sort of a tree trimming business. Mm -hmm. And so there was other employees that were part of the the company too. Okay. And so when he got arrested for killing his his family, one of the guys that worked for him was not surprised. And he thought that really this should have been classified as self-defense because he saw... How oh. his father would beat him. And oh. that's like the way he would treat him in front of other people. Wow. Like, imagine what he did when no one was around. Yeah. And so, it was just... And um, in 2006, I want to say, 
he appealed to get a new sentencing mm-hmm. trial, not a whole trial, but just the sentencing part, um, because he was sentenced to three live sentences, but they were to be served simultaneously. Okay. So, um, 30 something years, he probably would have been up for parole. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got, he won his appeal to get a new sentencing and that went really bad for him. Oh. Yeah. Um, his public defender didn't bring up any of the abuse. None. And wow. so the jury really didn't get to hear that there was mitigating circumstances. Like, he didn't just wake up one day and decide that he was going to bludgeon his family to death. Yeah. Like, I think it should have been brought up. And I think he should definitely have served, you know, a a huge portion of his life in prison Uh uh, for what he did. But at what point, it's like, he was horribly abused. And at this point, he was 18. He could have left. But yet, he couldn't really. Like, he didn't have any financial way to get away he worked Mm -hmm. for his father yeah you know it's like how much money of that is he getting probably none right and so and they spent the whole his whole lifetime telling him that he was useless and he was going to fail and so yeah his self-confidence wasn't there to try to strike out and do his own thing and that's sad and and it's just like also one of the reasons that I think that Jody was involved was he'd been living with this his whole life. Mm-hmm. And why on the day oh. that Jody was going to get punished, yeah, did he decide that it was time to free them? That's true. There was just a lot. Um, Billy, of course, spun his own tales as well. Mm-hmm. Like, no one here was above suspicion. Right. <laughs> I was like, who's telling the truth? Who's not telling the truth? Uh-huh. Um, Billy always tried to make himself sound like he was a much bigger person than he was. You know, that he was invited to all the best parties because he had all the good weed. Oh. You know, and he had no friends. Okay. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of... You know, well, this is what Jody said, and this is what I did. And I'm just like, eh, some of that makes sense. Some of that doesn't make sense. Because he was also, at the time that the book was written, trying to get that appeal to go through so they could try to do a, another sentencing. Okay. So there was a lot of, um, this happened, and Jody was like, I don't remember that happening. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, the abuse did happen. People did see that outside of the family mm-hmm. um children's services failed a lot with this family i was wondering i mean okay aside from all of the abuse which should have been reported and all that stuff oh it was um oh it was mm-hmm. oh okay so yeah. i'm thinking she her her neighbor friends get custody of her i mean that just seems like unheard of now that something like that would happen mm-hmm. that she wouldn't go into like foster care and her lawyer gets custody really Mm -hmm. okay that just seems like whatever so yes i mean just from those aspects Uh not to mention anything that happened before yeah okay um billy had been seen by several psychiatrists throughout from childhood up until past the murders and he was in prison you know trying Uh to get his appeals done and all that 
um, because the children's services had been had gotten involved a couple of times. Uh-huh. Um, people called children's services. He showed up to school, you know, obviously being abused, and so teachers reported it. Um, he had one caseworker who wrote a report and was trying to trying to get them out, mm-hmm. um, at least trying to get Billy out of the situation of the family dynamics that he was in. And um, the Gilly parents basically were threatening to sue and Child Protective Services fired that caseworker and made her destroy her report. What? So. Oh, my goodness. So, and from that that time on, Billy knew that, what was the point? What was the point in telling people that this is what, what was going on when his parents could just make it go away? Yeah. And so... It was even it was even more of a at some point something horrible was gonna happen. Yeah. To to someone. Right. Like either they were going to kill the kids or the kids were going to kill them. Yeah. Just had enough. Yeah. And so stuff like that kept kept coming up. And whenever they, you know, weren't threatened with the removal of their children, it was always like, Billy's kinda disturbed and We've noticed that he's kind of disturbed, and so we sent him to talk to this counselor, and this is what they said that, you know, you could do to try to make th- make him less disturbed. Uh-huh. You know, let's try to help Billy, and they did none of that. Oh. And at some point, they even recommended sending him to kind of a disciplinary type school. Mm-hmm. Because uh, at school, you know, he would get into fights and yeah, other disciplinary... Um, behavior like he was disruptive mm-hmm. um, and so just not even talking about the physical abuse he was dealing with at home it was just like billy's acting out a lot at school and you know maybe sending him to this disciplinary type school mm-hmm. might just straighten it out and he would have been removed from the house and they opted to not send him they were afraid to probably. Well, they, uh, I'm sure, did not want to relinquish any control yeah. of those children at all. He, like I said, he did win that appeal for a new sentencing trial, and mm-hmm. he got sentenced to 34 more years. Oh my gosh! Okay. Yeah. Yep, that did not work well for him. Mm-mm. And that's really interesting because most of the time you don't hear about the ones that don't work well when that happens. Mm-hmm. Usually it goes in, in their favor. Yeah. So when was this book written? 2008 is when the book was published. So she wrote okay. it, I believe, when he was still trying to get his appeal in 2006. Okay. So she wrote it before the appeal happened, like while he was preparing for the appeal. Mm-hmm. And then the appeal happened. So. Okay. He might have won the appeal in 2008 or something like that. Okay. But it was in between that time. Like when she was interviewing him and talking to him, it, he was preparing for the appeal process. And what words did she use again? She used psychic trauma a lot. Okay. Like to describe being psychologically traumatized. Uh-huh. And so there's a note from Jody at the end because she corresponded with both of them and she met Jody fairly often and talked and interviewed with her and she did the same thing with Billy okay as well 
Um, but there's a note from Jody at the end of the book. So she has just this little note here where she talks about different organizations that might have been able to help her family if help had been given. Even though her parents were uh, not really wanting to... Yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of uh, resistance Mm -hmm. from them. Mm -hmm. Like whenever... Because most of the time, the help was for the children. Like, we got to get these kids out of here. And they weren't having none of that. So really, the only other option, it sounds like, would have been for them to run away. Mm -hmm. And Billy did run away once. Okay. He um, he ran away. He met. He had one friend that was in the foster care system, mm-hmm. and he had told him that he was going to run away. And his friend was like, "Well, I want I want to go with you." Um. And so they ran away together, and they ended up, I think, in Washington State okay. to go and live with the friend's parents because he had been removed from their custody. Okay. And he wanted to go back to his parents. And it turns out that they were very, uh, they liked the marijuana a okay. lot. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why he was removed. Yeah. Not for like any physical abuse or anything. Like he wanted to be with his parents. Yeah. But because they enjoyed the marijuana quite yeah. a bit, he was removed. Okay. So they went to go live with them. The kid told his parents about Billy and why Billy was running away and about you know, what he knew about Billy's home situation. And so they were okay with him staying there. Um, the only thing was that his friend's mom wanted Billy to call his mom and just let him, let him know that um, he was okay, that he was fine. He was staying with, you know, good people. He wasn't in the streets or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the time he was 15 or 16. I think, I think he was getting close to being 17 at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did. He called his called his mom and, you know, was like, I'm okay. Uh-huh. Um, and she wanted him to come back and, you know, always with the same, everything's going to be different and I promise I'm going to divorce him and, mm. you know, come home. And he was like, I'm not ever coming home. Um, but because this kid was in the foster care system, they found him pretty quick. Yeah. And so when he called home again, because, uh, you know, the, his friend's mom was really adamant about him keeping his, his mom, you know, in the know that he's okay. Uh-huh. So she's not worried about him. Right. Um, because really, I think she just thought that it was the father okay. that was the most abusive. Mm-hmm. And so she would call. So he called home again. And at this point, the police had pretty much found out where the foster kid was, which means that's where Billy was. And mm. um, the mom asked him. Linda Gilly asked him to come home again, and he said no, that he was not ever coming home. And that's pretty much when her everything's going to change story just was gone, and she was just like, you can either come home or I can call the police and have them arrested. Wow. And so he was like, these are the only people that have ever been kind to me, that have ever taken me in and tried to take care of me. Yeah. So. Which I, I find this fascinating that, now, I mean, okay, drugs are not okay. I, I'm not saying that they right. are. But being now in, in Washington, this wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it wouldn't have been a big deal. And they were a better 
environment, mm-hmm. even though there were drugs involved, than it sounds like this other situation. Yeah, than his actual home situation, yeah. Yeah, and, and they didn't, I don't know, I just, it's it's just very frustrating to know that people couldn't get in to help the children mm-hmm. when they really needed it. Yeah. And so he went home. He went back home because he didn't want to cause trouble for mm-hmm. this nice family that was actually trying to help him. Right. And so. he didn't have anywhere else to go. So yeah. so he went back home. Aw. Well. Yep. And we know how that story ends. Yes. I think she could have done a better job of writing this story. Mm-hmm. Like, I really do. Um, I never got really a feeling like a feel for how she felt about it one way or the other Mm -hmm. you know like there was a couple of times when i thought that she was also not really believing jody Mm -hmm. but she never came out and said that or anything she was just sort of like ambiguous about the whole thing yeah so do we know where jody is now and what she's doing uh jody's married and living her her life she didn't get any charges filed against her or anything like that. Wow. Her uh, lawyer slash guardian kind of made sure of that. <laughs> well, how kind of him. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he did it all out of the kindness of his heart. <laughs> he sounded like such a skeevy guy, too, because she, she talked to him, too. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, let's give this guy custody of a teenager. Right. Going through a divorce. Yeah. Dating girls that same age, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like she didn't have anywhere else to go. She could have gone to the neighbors. She could have stayed with the neighbors. Um, there was a couple of other, like there was a caseworker that was willing to take her in. Mm-hmm. Um, Jody's problem with that was that there was going to be rules and it was going to be strict. Oh, mm. yeah. And so she didn't want to do that. Yeah, and and it's so much better for the teenager to make that decision. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. She didn't want to go there, so. Yeah. Because uh, Catherine Harrison did ask Thad, like, why did you want custody of her? And he's like, I didn't. It's like, but Jody wanted to live with me. And it's just like, so you're the adult in this situation. Right. No, Jody, you can't come live with me because I'm going through a divorce and you're 16. Right. It's not that hard to no. say. Oh, my goodness. And she was like, you know, trying to steer her towards, there's, I think, two other people, the caseworker and there was someone else um, that he claims he was, like, trying to steer her towards one of these two people. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. This woman would give her structure and this other person would give her more of a normal type life. And she was just like, I don't want structure and I'm not ever going to be normal. And so <laughs> she went to go live with her lawyer. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. My notes are just like, and everybody thought this was okay. <laughs> everybody was like, sure. Why not? Yeah. This that's... sounds great. That was like a great situation. That makes you wonder right there. Mm hmm. All right. So is there anything else you're burning to say about your book? Hmm. That's pretty much it. It really got me thinking. It it did get me thinking, like, uh, how how much abuse was he supposed to take Mm 
before it was, you know, mitigating circumstances in his crime. Right. Like, I just don't understand. Yeah. And so, but yeah, his court-appointed attorney didn't bring it up when Jody testified, and she, of course, testified for the prosecution and not for the defense. Um, she was their star witness. She was the one that saw Becky, you know, there in her room, heard Becky go downstairs, heard her scream, and mm-hmm. heard the thuds. Um, and then that he came and got her out of there and so forth. Um, but, you know, Thad had advised her to not offer up any kind of information to answer everything concisely and not ever bring up anything because they still didn't know if she was going to be charged or not. Oh. And so she didn't say anything about the abuse or anything like that. The court-appointed lawyer didn't ask, like... I think at this point he was just like, "This kid did it, y'all." Yeah, <laughs> like, but he didn't well, bring up any of that. Well, and he did, but you know, yeah. <sighs> and I don't think there was a lot of planning either. Uh-huh. Like that, it was like he spent weeks planning it. I think it was a very much a, I have to do this now. Yeah, and then he did, and then he had no plan after that. Like it was just get Jody, get in the car, and get out of here. Yeah. Like, he didn't try to hide the bodies. He didn't do anything once he realized that Jody wasn't going anywhere with him. He just went back home. Yeah. And just waited. Because he knew the cops were going to come. Mm-hmm. So, it was just like, he had no plan. But he was still free. Yes. I wonder if he still feels that way. I don't know. I don't know. And I wonder if he... Because he was angry with Jody for a long time. Because she never said anything at all about... What had happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was angry because he was the only one being blamed for everything. Like, yeah. he was still pretty adamant that she had she had wanted this too. Yeah. And she was saying that she never said anything about anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a teenager, yeah, she might have been like, I wish they were dead. But right. she wasn't actively trying to convince him to do it and i think that's a lie i think that is a lie yeah it sounds like it Mm -hmm. based on you know what you've been saying yeah she doesn't seem yeah i didn't by the end of it i was just like i totally think that she was pushing him yeah to do it because i really don't think he would have killed his mother Mm -hmm. i think he would have killed his dad and then been like okay well we're all free yeah and she as the mother may have changed if he wasn't around yeah Yeah. maybe Hmm. because he kept he kept wanting to believe her when she said you know things are going to change and i'm going to kick him out and you know i'm going to divorce him um but she never did and if she did he was gone for two weeks Right. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, he said what to his kid? She goes and tells you, and you're like, get out. And two weeks later, I'm like, you can come home. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, this family was messed up. Mm-hmm. Just totally messed up. Well, and I, I hate to say it, but what happened in the father's past history that made him to be so violent? You um, know? I, think, I think his father... 
um, was in one of the wars, came back and was abusive. Okay. An alcoholic and abusive. Yeah. And then he became an alcoholic and abusive. Yeah. So, yes, it comes from a long pattern of dysfunction. Right. Um, Which is why he was um, in school. Picking fights and... Yeah, yeah. because that's the way he was treated at home. Mm -hmm. It's normal. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, this it was all very sad. Like, all very, very sad. Um, I just wasn't a big fan of the way Katherine Harrison wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think she could have done so much better. Yeah. Uh, the story was, and the, the case and the situation was all very fascinating mm-hmm. and heartbreaking. But I was just not, not feeling it when Katherine Harrison was talking about it. Yeah. Like... I don't think I'd recommend the book. I don't think I'd be like, oh, you should totally read this. Yeah. But if I saw like a ID channel special on this, uh-huh. I'd be like, you should totally watch that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Watch the movie. Don't read the <laughs> book. Don't read the book. <laughs> it, was, it was all right. Yeah. I don't, right. I, I don't know if she was just, if she was trying to be more uh, journalistic, mm-hmm. you know, like here's, Here's what I found out, and I've got no opinion on it. Yeah. You know? But I'm just like, you could have totally called that out on being a creep. Um, right. And made your position clear whether or not you believe Jody or not. Yeah. So. Well, and it's all, you know, political. I mean, as far as if you state your true opinion what are they going to think of me and Mm -hmm. you know what's gonna will they buy the book you know that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so anyway so that's what that's all i got to say about it all right you ready for mine yes okay let me close it here this one is incident at big sky the true story of Sheriff Johnny France and the capture of the mountain men. And um, Johnny France is uh, one of the authors and Malcolm McConnell. And this was written in 1986. So this, it was written very close to when it happened or right after it happened. So um, it was still fresh in his mind, Mm -hmm. I think. So uh, he was the um, sheriff of this town and um okay so let me start over big sky is well that's the uh, montana that's the um slogan for the state big sky country but this specifically is about the ski area big sky and it's down by bozeman which is kind of south central area just north of um yellowstone Mm. i guess and uh, so anyway, um, this girl was out jogging, and her name was um, Carrie Swenson, and she had been told that there were bears up in the mountains, because this is a very mountainous area, mm-hmm. obviously ski area, and um, you know something about grizzly bears, and she was like, oh, I hope I get to see one, whatever, I'm going to go jogging. And um, so she was actually training for the Olympics. Oh. And uh, was planning on going, um, I think this the sport she was in was 
it, I think they said a biathlon, uh, and it involves, I think, winter kind of a sport and mm-hmm. shooting. You know, have you ever seen them when they run and then they have to stop and shoot? Is that the one where you ski and then shoot? Maybe it is the skiing. <laughs> I don't know. Because I know there's one that they do in the Winter Olympics that you ski down a little bit and then you do like shooting and then you ski down a little more and you do. Yes. I think, I think that came from like the, the I think that came from Finland because they had soldiers that oh. that was actually what they were trained to do was to ski and and shoot. They were ski soldiers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is kind of cool. I didn't know that. Any, anyway, no. on the side there. <laughs> no, I like that. So, uh, so yeah, she decides she's going to go for a run. Her run is about six miles up mountainous roads. So it's a, it's a challenging run. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets up in the morning, she's on this run, and she's just going, and then she gets up around this lake, and actually, I think it was a break. She had a weird schedule at this restaurant, so she worked the, I don't know, lunch um, thing, lunch time lunch. rush, yeah, and then she had a break for a few hours, and then she had to go back for dinner. Well, she goes for this jog, and she gets up by the lake, and um, she glances up and sees these two men that are suspicious looking (laughs) and she's like oh well maybe they're um fishermen from the from the lodge area Mm -hmm. who are up for the summer whatever and um so she decides to keep going okay hello gut instinct follow it Was there, yeah. like, no horror movies back then or something? I guess, right? <laughs> okay, so in the early 80s, like, the, the horror slasher genre of film started in the late 70s, like, 78, 79, to the early mid 80s. Like, that's uh-huh. when they were huge. Uh-huh. So, yes, there were. <laughs> I guess she didn't watch those movies. <laughs> right? So, yeah, she okay. decides to keep running toward them. And so, then she stops and she keeps thinking in her mind, oh, this is going to be okay. She'll just talk to him for a second and then she'll start um, jogging on and go mm-hmm. back around her path and get back to her car. No, they pull out guns and grab her. And, yeah, she's captured at that point. And there's nobody around. Yeah. Because they're in the mountains. Did she leave a note? Does anybody know where she's at? <sighs> no. Always leave a note. Right. (laughs) Always tell someone, even if you're not going to leave a note, just tell someone. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So granted, let me just say this, being from Montana and it's, you know, when you grow up there, you just don't worry about things. And I I don't know why. And it's a little different now after living here. Mm -hmm. I would, I would still be more cautious when I went back. But growing up there, you don't lock your door. You don't have to lock your vehicle all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just relaxed and, you know, chill. Um, but don't do that. Right. <laughs> Let me just say. <laughs> okay, so they grab her, and so she's thinking, somebody's, and she tells them, somebody's going to be coming to look for me because she has to start her shift. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be concerned. And sure enough, they are. And they start to... Um, organize uh, search parties for her and trying to figure out if she did get caught by this bear or you know what exactly Mm -hmm. happened did she get lost and um so they end up grabbing her and taking her just through not even on a trail they just start cutting through the brush and taking her and leading her and she gets all turned around and doesn't Mm -hmm. know exactly where she's at um and they find a spot finally um 
and she keeps thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave a clue. So she tries to drop her bracelet or her watch or something. And the older guy, um, he's watching her and he's, he, uh, catches it every time she does it. And so he picks everything up and puts it in his pocket, whatever. And, um, so there's parties out, but it also gets dark, mm-hmm. you know, and they're in the mountains. You have no right lights at all. I don't know if the moon was out, but, um, so these people are still trying to find her and they chain her to a tree so that she can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so they bed down for the night. They give her a little food and she's like, I know you're going to rape me. I know you're going to rape me. And, um, but they didn't. And they said, no, we just want you to come with us for a while and see if you like it. And basically, maybe Stockholm Syndrome will set in and you'll be our wife. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And what you said was interesting. Our wife. Yeah. Because (laughs) of one of the comments he made, and I don't read the the older guy, Don Nichols. uh, One of the things he said was we. Mm -hmm. And, And so it was like what it's not even like for the younger kid yeah. you know his son so anyway it comes to find out that it is this gentleman his name is don nichols and it's his son dan nichols that are doing this and his um, son is 19 and i want to say he was in his 50s um when this was happening so yeah they go up and chain her to the tree they bed down for the night everything's fine well Mm fine-ish and um the next morning they're getting up and um people are starting to come uh search for them and the guy's like you know you need to stop doing that because if anybody comes into this camp or if anybody comes and tries to find you i'll shoot them so it doesn't matter if they come to help you they're dead and um, so anyway, they're getting ready to take off for the day. And sure enough, here comes somebody. And there were two guys from a search party. And one of their radios squawked because of just communications. Mm-hmm. And um, she starts screaming at them to help her and to, I don't even think it was help her. It's just like, get away because he'll shoot you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Don Nichols tells his son to shut her up. And he turns and goes over to where she's at, and she's still screaming. And Don Nichols shoots one of the guys in the face, and then the kid shoots Carrie Swenson, but he hits her in the shoulder. And so then they are just like, "Okay, we're out of here." Um, but the other guy got away, and so these two guys just take off mm-hmm. in the mountains. Finally, they get somebody up there to help her. I mean, it was quite a while. They got um, airlifted. Some kind of helicopter people come, mm-hmm. you know, came and helped. And um, so they airlifted her out, and so she survived. And uh, she was able to talk to them about, you know, what they'd said to her and mm-hmm. and different things. But the, the that was just like the first chapter of the book. Uh, the rest of the book was about trying to find them. Oh. Yeah, and it was just very fascinating because I know what it's like up there to be in the mountains mm-hmm. and, you know, but these guys were, like, so stealthy. They were, um, a couple of the parts, I know you, you're thinking I'm crazy, but. Mm. 
No, I'm just thinking like they must have some John Rambo training or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because they were they were in the woods, and and the information is coming from I, I believe their statements. Okay, because this is the sheriff, and this is his viewpoint of everything. Mm-hmm. Which for the most part, I mean, it was very well written. It was easy to follow, easy mm-hmm. to read. Um, I didn't feel that there was bias in it mm-hmm. until like one one instance and then I thought okay I guess there is another viewpoint that we could maybe look at but I was still on his side Mm -hmm. of everything um but they say that the kid Don Nichols or Dan Nichols um was standing there and he was standing so still that the search party I mean you kind of envision that they're all kind of coming up the mountain and there's quite a bit of space between Mm -hmm. them I mean it's you know and they walk right by him. He's like, I could smell him. He could smell him. He was that close. He could smell him, the the people. And it's like, you didn't see that somebody was there smelling you? Yeah, I so mean, close that yes. they could smell you? Yeah. yeah. And that was really early on in the investigation or when they're still in the search. Uh-huh. And then a little bit later, there was another time that he was down in like kind of a, a swampish area. And um, the horse got spooked that the guy was on and he, it was a new horse that he had, he wasn't really used to. And, um, he just thought that the horse was not comfortable, not familiar, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that guy was right there. He was hiding in this, yeah. in the brush and he had his rifle. He's like, Oh, I could just so grab my rifle and shoot him right now, but it would attract all this attention. Um, so yeah, it was just like the Rambo stuff. You're right. <laughs> I had not made that connection. The, the horse saw him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, this happened in July. I think July 14th, 1984 is when she was kidnapped. And then really it was only in a night mm-hmm. that she was kidnapped. Um, they caught them in December of that year so it was several months yeah so at one point i mean he's trying all kinds of things to try to capture these people Mm -hmm. i mean the fbi comes in and swat teams come in and no matter what happens they all fail at what's going on yeah and so finally winter comes i mean it's winter in montana okay and then this area it gets it can get kind of bad yeah and he's like well maybe they'll come down out of the mountains that's the only thing he can think of Mm -hmm. so it tells a story about how the guys, um, the the two um, Nichols family, could not go back to their normal camp. And they had, like, caches of food in different places. They would go and raid these ranch camps that were up high mm-hmm. uh, in the mountains um, and steal their... This is what I find is fascinating, okay? Because they're mountain men. Mm-hmm. They steal pancake batter. <laughs> You're like, what are they going to do with the pancake I mean, batter? Like, live off the land. No. <laughs> Everybody loves pancakes, Don. Yes, and the syrup. They wanted the syrup. Well, I thought you were going to make a connection that they're mountain men, so of course they want to steal the pancake batter. <laughs> <laughs> they're out there living like the lumberjack lifestyle. <laughs> They need their pancake. <laughs> Apparently, they do need their pancake. Right. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, they couldn't go back to their normal camps because from what it sounded like, there was, like, some underground camp that they thought they might be in or, you know, that they had talked to Carrie about that that's mm-hmm. where they were going to take her. 
And they had gardens around. Mm-hmm. And um, this one guy, uh, a, a rancher, made a comment that his horse had gotten out and had um, gone and eaten all the turnips that he had planted in this swampy area, wherever. And um, Don Nichols had got mad and gone over and um, what did he do? He shot his animals or something. <gasps> he did something to uh, in retaliation yeah. for that. Which, you know... Okay, I can understand him being mad because, I mean, that's his survival. Uh-huh. You know, that's his way of surviving. But really, uh-huh. it's open yeah. land. It's not yours. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so anyway, it gets winter time. So they don't have their normal clothes mm-hmm. that they could survive with over the winter and, and all the food and stuff. So they finally get to a point where they go down the other side of the mountain and they break into these houses that people aren't at because it's winter uh-huh. in Montana and it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, it's probably ski season. So they, anyway, they were empty houses. So they broke in, got pancake mix. <laughs> they did. I mean, they got like 60 pounds of food. I don't know. There was a, a ton of food that they stole from these houses. Um course the next day something somebody calls it in and all that well they mm-hmm. go and they're still living in the hills and somebody comes across them he's out leading a, a hunting a couple people for his hunting camp you know mm-hmm. he has several out there and he sees them and they go right up and start talking to him because um, there's like four guys and um they're under a tarp and they're they've got a frying pan and they're trying to cook Something, probably pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) And and then he he realizes who they are. And he goes back and he's like, you know, I I don't want any trouble or anything. I just want to talk to you. And this was the first news that they'd had about what happened. So he tells them that that Carrie did not die. And that's when Dan Nichols was like, what? She didn't die? And, like, he was all chatty and all wanted to be, you know, like, talk with this guy. Mm-hmm. And so they found out all kinds of information. And, and he actually starts walking with the guys. The guy's walking away. Um, and then his dad yells at him to get back. Well, he notices a change in his son's attitude toward him and being out in the, in the woods. It's like he doesn't want to be there anymore. And he realizes that he's not going to be charged for murder because yeah he didn't he kill didn't her. anybody yeah um so anyway they finally get down um in the normal like traffic area mm-hmm. still trying to be evasive and they're going to cross this road and get back up onto the other side where i guess it's easier and all that stuff i don't know for some reason it's easier for them to be over there and maybe they won't be searching for them in that Mm. location yeah at this point it sounds like that mountain got pretty crowded yes (laughs) yes it did um so they get down across the the field and they get into this one little spot that they thought they could hunker down well the storm comes anyway um this guy comes and he starts to check his cows because it's 10 degrees and the water's frozen so they have to make sure the cows can get some water so he goes to break up the ice and the horse again senses something Mm -hmm. different i think a different horse different guy and all that but no no connection that this might be something and um 
I think finally he realizes that he walks over there and sees somebody down there and has maybe an inkling. It could be poachers. It could be kids camping, Mm -hmm. different things. And so he kind of checks that out and finally calls the, um, the sheriff come to find out that guy was the, um, brother-in-law of the sheriff. They're related, actually not brother-in-law. They were brothers. Um, because the sheriff grew up on that land, uh, he was adopted. And uh, <laughs> so fascinating. So the guy, the sheriff's like, I know this land. The, I grew up here. I hunted on this land. So mm-hmm. he knew all the nooks and crannies. He's like, I know this land. This is my territory. Yeah. They went from being on their territory. And of all the places they end up, it's yeah. on mine. It was so kind of cool that that happened like that. He ended up cornering them and got them single-handed by himself he kind of tricked them and said that you know there's other people around but they weren't he was by himself (laughs) but i think they were so hungry and tired and all that stuff anyway um yeah they're ready to be caught they were so dan nichols served some time but Mm -hmm. he was put on parole in 1991 and Don Nichols was given 85 years. Let's see. He served 32. And I. this is just so kind of like your story last time. I looked mm-hmm. it up online. He was just paroled last fall. So he's out. Mm-hmm. I know. So, so the family, getting back to this part, the family of the guy who was shot in the face and the family who... Um, uh, the parents of the girl mm-hmm. um, who was kidnapped uh, came to see the sheriff and they were not nice to him. They blamed him for um, not going out and searching at night. And his thought was all these other people are already out there on a search, like not organized by the police, but mm-hmm. they've already gone out searching. And their tensions are probably high. If he goes in, and not to mention the fact there's a grizzly bear out there, yeah. uh, if he sends his guys out there, there's a likelihood that they could get shot mm-hmm. by their own people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so he didn't want to jeopardize anybody, and so that was his thought on, on waiting until morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were criticizing him about that and, you know, just really giving him a hard time about different things. And um, so I can understand that they're the, the parents and, right. you know, that they're frustrated. And, and at this point, they the guys hadn't been caught. Um, but I think it was kind of misplaced mm-hmm. based on... That's where I'm like, okay, this is the sheriff's viewpoint. Right. And so that's why I'm thinking that their anger was misplaced. If if I heard their side, I may not feel, mm-hmm. you know, quite as strongly about that. They may have good reason other than the way it was portrayed in, in the book. Yeah. But it sounds like it's always a bad idea to be out in the middle of the mountains at night. You've got no light. You can't see. Maybe there's a full moon and so you got some light. There's bears. Yeah. There's all kinds of things that you could fall and break your neck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, so let's go out there when we can't see. Right. And there's two crazy guys out there with guns. <laughs> right. And it's their territory. They know yeah. how to hide. They know how to do whatever. Yeah. You know, it just is not. It, it seems like a bad idea. 
Yes. And it also seems like they probably shouldn't let those volunteers go out there either at night. Yes. But that was not, that was like the, um, the place where she worked. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a group of people or something. Right. That and, kind of sent And really them out. like there isn't really much that he could have done other than be like, it's nighttime. You probably shouldn't be out there. I mean, they're adults and yes, adults. <laughs> like there's not really much that he could have done to stop them. Right. But it seems like a bad idea to go out there and be searching. Yes. At night. It does. And it seemed like it was a bad idea to be out there searching during the daytime. (laughs) (laughs) Do. Yeah, because they walked right up on him and didn't even know. Yeah. I mean, if they'd have been by themselves or in a smaller group, Mm -hmm. who knows what could have happened. Um, So when I heard Carrie Swenson, the name... It kind of, you know, sounded familiar. So I was 14 when this happened. Mm -hmm. And I know that there were certain things in my life that, you know, crimes happen and you become more aware. Um, And I think this was one of them Mm -hmm. that it was like, you know, don't go near crazy people. I mean, if, if you don't, I mean, you can be kidnapped and, you know, I mean, it's just, you think you're invincible, I guess, when you're mm-hmm. younger and all that stuff, but then little things like this happen and it, it, it makes you aware, it makes your parents more mm-hmm. aware. So. And I mean, it, it sound like, sounds like it was a traumatizing event, but that could have been so much worse for her. Oh, yes. Like, it could have been so much worse for her. Yeah. I think that. This, it was just very well written. It, it was not like I thought that it would be, mm-hmm. that it was would be more about her is what I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It was more about the search for the two. Uh, and it made it a really good story. It was very suspenseful, yeah. the way they wrote it. And um, I would recommend it. It was good. All right. Yeah. All right, let me make sure. Oh, yeah. So, Carrie Swenson is now a veterinarian in Bozeman. So, uh, I don't believe she ever went back to the Olympics. And she didn't finish her training or training? No, I think she tried to, but I don't think at the end of this book it said that she was going to try. You know, she was still training and Mm -hmm. different things, but I don't think that she was ever going to be up to that Mm -hmm. uh, capacity again. Um. Oh, so the son, Dan, um, was paroled in 1991, Mm -hmm. but then in 2011, he was convicted on drug charges. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyway, so he's back in jail. So I was going to show you some pictures in here, and if you look online, there's pictures. Mm -hmm. He didn't look creepy. The dad looked a little creepy. Um. And this is interesting. They had written on a tree the saying, Dan and Don Nichols live in these mountains, July 14th, 1984. Look at the writing. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. It's very pretty. Yes. (laughs) It looks very... uh... So they had... That was part evidence. They cut that down and made sure that they had that... um, with them so this is the father and the son his mm-hmm. hair is longer here but the the current pictures online he doesn't he looks better he looks like a normal person i guess is what i'm trying to say he doesn't look like he's a psycho so most of these pictures are of the sheriff 
Well, and I think it comes back down to what we were talking about with while they slept. It's like, what would this person have been like if his father hadn't been there? Yes. Like, would he have been like, the mountains are great, but I don't want to live up here? Or, oh, yeah, so you know, like, would he have been a different person? Well, I mean, he probably would have been a different person, but... Okay, so here's some information I didn't give you. They were talking about the father's background mm-hmm. and that he did have um, a good relationship with his dad, but then I believe his dad died and his mom remarried, and that guy was not good to him at all, was um, kind of abusive, didn't treat him nice and, and different things. And so he they, they talk about that he wanted to get back to what he knew with his dad Mm -hmm. and his dad took him into the mountains and taught him how to hunt and Mm -hmm. do all this stuff. And so that's what he, they kind of talked about him being stuck in that era. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also trying to keep his son with him and, and not let him go, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, and his son actually had a girlfriend at one t- at one time. He was he was divorced, and so the son would live um, between him and his wife. And um, Dan finally got a girlfriend and wanted to move off with her and do some things. Well, Don hunted him down and found him, and somehow convinced him to come and live in the mountains with him. Right. I don't know. I di- can't remember exactly what yeah. happened, but it's just. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. He was kind of normal. I mean, yeah. he seemed like he was doing normal stuff and, mm-hmm. and didn't really want to go, but okay, yeah, mm-hmm. dad, I'll go with you. And then they end up living in the, the mountains for over a year. And then, oh yeah, you need a wife. So let's, go, so let's find you one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's go capture one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll treat this like we treat everything else. We'll set a trap. <laughs> That's, that's how we do it in the mountains. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> set a trap or steal somebody else's. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm going to steal mean, your pancake mix. I'll just take your woman too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, anyway. Hmm. It was it was good. And it, I think it was good for me too because I can visualize being there mm-hmm. and, you know, some of the things that they went through probably and, you know, that kind of thing. So, I also like being able to go back and say, "Okay, where are they now?" <laughs> I realized that after our last book, that was and yeah. I was like, "I can't wait till I finish this because now I want to go search them and see." Yes, know, yeah. I waited doing. until I was done reading before I I went to go look to see what happened to Billy Gilly because she uh-huh. talked about his appeal and so mm-hmm. like, how did that go? And yeah, I think Jody is married, and I don't remember what she does at this point. I was not really all that interested in yeah like the the whole thing was fascinating but like and there's a couple points where she would go back and be like but you know billy did murder his entire family (laughs) (laughs) i was just like yes yeah (laughs) then there's that he's he's the murderer (laughs) it's like (laughs) yeah Yeah, some things you just can't overlook. Yeah. So the murderer in your book was just where they shot that guy. Yeah. yeah. That was the search and rescue worker or whatever. Yep. Did they find out in the book, does it talk about, did they find out anything else that they were... Yeah, did that, they commit other crimes? That they were guilty of leading up to that? Or? I mean, other than all the, like, going and 
shooting someone's animals because their right. horse ate turnips in mm-hmm. open land. They um, talked about just the stealing, I think, from uh, mm-hmm. the people's homes and the different camps and mm-hmm. in that. Um, but no, there wasn't really anything. Uh, they didn't feel like... so. It, basically anywhere you've got hunting season Mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't feel like they had to hunt during the season because this was where they lived and they just felt like they could go and shoot whenever they wanted because they they ate the meat that they Mm -hmm. um they killed and and stored it and all that but there were instances towards the end that one of the ranchers came up and said you know several of my animals have been um, killed and that's all they did is they just killed him and left him and it was it seemed more retaliation mm-hmm. at one point um, and I can't remember which part of the story it was and as far as what they had done that maybe they we they had gotten caught doing it and they were like no I'm not going to put up with this and they mm-hmm. went back and shot you know their animals but that was the main mm-hmm. main thing so that mur- the murder and, and kidnapping that was their kinda, first venture kind of new for them into big big crimes. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. So one of the things they did mention was that the father was known for you know when they go hunting, just shooting the animals in the face, and so and that's what he aimed for. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Um, and he made comments about how. They were trespassing. It's like don't don't come into my camp, and that's really kind of a, a thing. You don't enter somebody's camp unless you ask permission, and you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, especially being that obsessive about it, mm-hmm. he's like he deserved it. He walked into my my space with armed. He you know because they had guns, mm-hmm. and he's like I'm not going to put up with that. Mm. So. But it was a very spur of the moment. Tensions got high really quick because, you know. Yes. And I think that if if his aim hadn't been so good, you know, the, yeah. it, it would have turned out differently. But, yeah. Yeah. But all the niceties and politeness of such a thing of asking permission is kind of voided when you kidnap someone. <laughs> You're holding yep. someone against their will. So <laughs> he deserved it because he stepped into my camp without permission is, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that was a justified, but you know, the guy needed to be thoughtful that it's like, if I'm stepping onto somebody's camp, it would be nice if they weren't armed, if I'm going to go ahead and do that. Yeah. You know, not that that was his well, fault at all. No. Well, and I think, a, I think a lot of it is that the volunteers weren't exactly prepared. You know, I mean, they knew that there was dangerous people out there, but how dangerous? Yeah. Mm. You know? And I think that's really why why it should be more of a controlled search. Have police presence and so forth instead of just going out there on your own. Well, up to that point, they didn't have any confirmation that she had been kidnapped, right? They just knew she was missing and they were just searching for her. And then 
It wasn't until they found yeah. her screaming that they knew, oh, she was taken by somebody, yeah. right? I, I'm pretty sure that that's the way it went. I don't think they had any inkling at that point that they may have been So they taken pretty much just took their firearms because they're going out into the woods and there's a bear. Yeah. Yeah. Because they and don't know what sense. they're going to yeah. face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Different, definitely a different situation, but it has a lot of the same elements of your mm-hmm. crime. The whole psychological mm-hmm. from the parents' standpoint. Two sons and, being yeah. like so messed up by their fathers. Yes. That they do yeah. crazy, horrible things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Set at the same time. Yes. In kind of the same area. <laughs> yes. Weird. And we did not discuss our books. No, we, we just did not. picked one. <laughs> I think we have some kind of psychological things <laughs> what are we gonna read next what kind of I don't know i know i don't either it's like i'm i'm excited though i'm excited to read about all this stuff me too oh yeah there was no pictures in my book <laughs> i was gonna what? say i was a little disappointed i had to look them up to see what they look like so your book was called While They Slept? While Is they it slept. because he killed them while they slept? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, I mean, there's a lot more I could say. I mean, just remembering different parts of mm-hmm. the book, but you really should read it. You'll get the suspense and you'll get the frustrations <laughs> and all that good stuff. There are still people that live up in the mountains like that. I mean, I'm sure there are somewhere, but... <laughs> probably more than you know okay so do y'all ever watch like those alaska shows you don't watch tv so um it's been a while since i've seen them but there was one where these people lived in this small town in alaska and one of the guys i don't know how long he'd lived there but he wanted to put in like central electricity and there was a big deal about that people are like we came out here not to have that kind of stuff. A lot of people are kind of trying to hide. They just want to get out. Be off uh-huh. the grid. Yes. And so Which th- makes me so suspicious. <laughs> Why? Exactly. Yeah. What have you done or what do you want to do? Right. <laughs> it does make you wonder. Yes. So anyway, yeah, it was a big, you know, buttonheads kind of thing on this program, which, you know, it's all of reality show too so right yeah um, some of that conflict could be programmed Mm -hmm. scripted but i believe chris then there there are people that live out there i'm sure it's i I just i just don't think we know about it right no like how would we know about it Uh, and and so you're (laughs) jogging down the down the path and yeah and two guys (laughs) are out there waiting (laughs) you're just like Well, now I know for sure to be like, oh, I'm going back that way. If you ever, if you're ever I'm out, I'm gonna out go in talk the, to those guys in the mountains, <laughs> in the woods, and you hear banjos, start walking the yeah, other way. Go away. <laughs> Run back to your car. <laughs> Don't investigate. Do not. <laughs> Where are those banjos coming from? <laughs> Man, yeah, that's that's creepy. I'm sure that there's all kinds. Like, I'm sure there's people like that. There's probably people that are just like, like I'm just going to live in the mountains and yeah. I'm going to be a hermit. 
Everything's going to be fine. Hooks and them the, you know, and they, don't, they don't care. They won't bother anybody, but I'm sure there's other people that they probably get weird. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, they were up there for a year, and it's like, well, hmm, I'm bored. I think we need a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and was it like they saw her, and they were just like, you know what? Now would be a good time. That was a good time to kidnap yeah. somebody. Because I don't know if that, it never mentioned that that was her normal route. It sounded like it was not a normal route yeah. for her, that she would go all the time. And it it was a tourist area. Mm-hmm. So who knows who might have gone up there. Oh, they did say that one um, lady and her husband and friend or whatever had been up there from where they were visiting. And she'd walked ahead and kind of got around the corner and she ran into them. And this was before Carrie had gotten taken. Uh-huh. And um, they were just real you know, friendly and talking mm-hmm. to her and asking her all kinds of stuff and different things. Well, then her husband yelled at her and they were gone like that. Okay. So it sounds like this was talked about and planned. Yes. You know, because I was about, I was going to ask, like, had they attempted something like this before? Or because that sounds like they were trying to like, you know, hi. Yeah. Yeah. How's it going? And mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't. That was the only other instant, instance mm-hmm. that was mentioned in the book that that might have been reported. I mean, it could have happened right. before that no one really either connected the dots or didn't mm-hmm. want to come forward. Yeah. Yep. And if it was a touristy area, they would they would have known that, right? And so, and they would have just oh they got lost in the woods or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just. That happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Typically, search and rescue is successful mm-hmm. uh, when somebody gets lost or, you know, they're climbing their mountain and they mm-hmm. can't get down. Right. Somebody knows where they are and they go search and, you know, they're found. They may not be alive. I mean, mm-hmm. but they're found. Yeah. <laughs> the mountains are a dangerous place <laughs> with or without crazy guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> But also, always leave a note. Just always leave a note. Yes. I'm taking a new route going this way. And I've done that before. Saying, I'm not sure exactly why, but I feel like I need to call you and tell you where I'm going. Yeah. I just need you to know where I'm at right now. Because I just need you to know. I just need someone to know that I am somewhere that I don't normally go. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You don't want to spend 127 hours in a... Yeah. What is that what the movie was called? Yes. Yeah. Nobody knew where he was. That vaguely sounds familiar. It sounds like I watched that. What was it about? It was about the, like the, was he like a rock climber? Or something. Yeah. Oh, yes. Something like he that. got stuck. And yes. Got stuck. And the rock landed on him. Yes. Yeah. And no one knew where he was. No one knew where he had gone off to. Mm-hmm. Like, leave a note. Always leave a note. Just. Let me just say, there was one. One instance where I know I was really stupid, made a stupid decision, but I decided I was going to go out to um, Eagle Mountain Park, and they've got trails out there, and Zach was in school, and it's like, oh, I've got free time. I want to go for a hike and get some exercise, and I get out there, and I'm starting to walk. Okay, no big deal, and then I see these guys up ahead that Mm -hmm. are walking back out, and I'm thinking, this is really stupid. They could so totally overtake me, mm-hmm. and I would be powerless to do anything. And so then I decided, okay, I'm going to call my mom. 
and talk to her. Well, first of all, service was not very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and second of all, my battery went dead. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go home. <laughs> and I have never gone back out there by myself again. Yeah. Didn't she say something like similar to that during the last podcast? About Did I? You were talking about the, the guy that, like, attacked, like, walk, hiked the road and hitchhiked and he was a murderer. And you said that you, like, stopped on this like at a rest stop or something at night one time or something like no, that no that was pat oh, yes that, that was oh, pat okay. she was mm-hmm. driving home and so she stopped at a rest stop and used the pay phone oh, to call okay. her parents to let them know that she was on her way home yes and it was a it actually been a hunting ground for um oh what's his name the the one that was from boyd oh yeah that's right oh really yeah Okay. Well, oh, never mind then. Yeah. But but that's more true crime for for our true crime. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So so yeah, we all I guess we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do dumb stuff, and you won't, <laughs> and you won't <laughs> end up changing a tree. Well, end up changing a tree. You won't be the focus of commercials. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Not too. <laughs> All right. Well, that was very interesting. Thank you for listening, everyone, to Do We Like Murder, a segment of the Long Overdue podcast. Join us again next month for more intrigue and excitement from the books here at the Decatur Public Library and Dawn and Denise's discussion about those books.